In today's show, we review the episode on exploring international teaching opportunities, providing you with our takeaways and get some wonderful input from Abby with some extra insights that we didn't cover in the episode. Then we bring Big Earn from earlyretirementnow.com on the show to talk us through some perspective on current market conditions. Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. guys, welcome to the show. Excited to dive into the content from this past week and even more excited because Big Earn is actually going to be joining us on the second half of this show to talk about recent market conditions with regards to the stock market and kind of put this bear into perspective. And help me with this. I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing well. Yeah, it's so nice to be able to lean on an expert like Big Earn from early retirement now. When things are going sideways and people are freaking out, someone like him can put into perspective. And and yeah, I'm just so curious to hear what he has to say about the market and where things are going and what he's been up to. He retired actually since the last time we spoke of him. So yeah, it should be a good conversation for sure. And for our audience, for context, Big Earn writes over at earlyretirementnow.com. And we have interviewed him twice on this show. And in the first time, the first time we had him on, we, we introduced this idea of sequence of return risk. The idea that what happens in the first few years of your investments has a disproportionate effect on the success of your portfolio lasting over an indefinite period of time. We brought him back to kind of go through and walk us through this idea of an emergency fund. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? And how do you think about constructing one? And that conversation was very valuable. Now, I I wanted to say that because if you are listening to this episode, maybe you're a new listener, I would recommend, I really would recommend you just pause this and you go back and you listen in particular to episode 35, Sequence of Return Risk. It's going to give you a really good frame for that conversation. So we will come back to this in just in just a few minutes when we bring Big Earn on. But uh, yeah, Brad, what's going on in your world, man? Yeah. So Jonathan, I guess it's the beginning of 2019. So I'm just trying to get all my ducks in a row. I actually just maxed out my HSA for 2019 yesterday. So I sent $7,000 over to to that account, which is pretty cool. I guess now I've funded it for both 2018 and 2019 here in the last couple months. And yeah, I've been really focusing on, on my fitness recently. I think while I talk about doing jujitsu and CrossFit here on the podcast, I've not been as great at actual attendance as, as I really want to be in my perfect world scenario. And it's because I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have a set time where I was going. And now What I've been doing is I get up early anyway. I'm probably up at 5 a.m. or before pretty much every single day. And I'm going to the 7 a.m. CrossFit class pretty much four times a week now, which is awesome. I don't even think I told you this, but I've realized kind of my kids are in a half daze when they get up and they don't really care whether I'm there or not. Sadly, I think they actually I love how you do the sadly part in there. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. I actually did a test where I didn't even tell them I was gone and they did not notice that I wasn't there. 
<laughs> which is so hilarious. So I'm like, okay, I think I can handle this. They don't really care. So it's perfect. I'm out the door before anybody's even awake. I'm in and out and I'm home and it just, it doesn't take up all of my day, like the noon class that I used to go to. So it's been fantastic. I, I set this goal of going, it, this is a very low bar admittedly, but of going 10 times per month. And what was really cool, and Jonathan, you'll love this, is I had this conversation with my daughter, Anna, at the end of December, December 28th, I'd only gone six times in December because we were away in New York and it just, you know, it just didn't work. So I had four days, I had the 28th through the 31st to make this happen, to get to my 10. And I went the first two, and then it was the morning of the 30th. I was sitting there playing board games with my family and we were just having a ball. And I looked over at Anna and I'm like, I really want to hit my goal, but I don't want to leave. I'm having so much fun. What do you think I should do? And she's like, daddy, reach your goals. Oh man. <laughs> How freaking cool is that? Right? That is awesome. That is so, so awesome. So of course I ran upstairs, got in my exercise gear and got out the door and then went the next day and reached that goal. And like, I really think about that now. My daughter is rooting for me to reach these goals. And it was just, it was such a cool moment. And in particular with Anna, she's so driven. I mean, I know she's taken on swimming and it's become a real passion for her. And I wonder if her rooting you on to reach her goals is in some way tied to the realization that she is trying to reach her own goals and then seeing the joy that she gets when she does hit those goals and then inferring that onto you. I mean, do you think that's part of it? Yeah, I definitely do. This kid is just so driven. It's amazing to see. She, I guess, has pretty much only swam summer swim the last couple of years, but she's really had some aptitude for it and she's done really well. And she just started full-time year-round swim this past September. And she set first this goal of making the state championships and then the national championships. And honestly, Jonathan, in like the world's worst parenting decision, I somehow must have said or intimated that. I didn't think it was going to be possible based on the timeline and where she was for her to make the national finals. I feel so unbelievably awful about this, but she is very quickly proving me wrong, which is <laughs> astounding. She, uh, she made the state championships her first meet, which was so cool. And this past meet, she took off a second, which is an astronomical amount in a 50 freestyle race and made the state championships in that. And now she's only like, 1.3 seconds away from qualifying for this national meet in Orlando that's in March actually. And the way this kid is improving and the way that she's dedicating herself, I think she's going to make it. I think she's got a really good shot. And like I said, I mean, I thought that was probably almost impossible in September. It's just been amazing to see her just want to get in that pool. She said she would go 10 times a week if we let her. And it's, it's just, it's really, really neat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think many of us, this is January, many of us are, are thinking about goals and thinking about resolutions. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of us are, are tying fitness to that. I'm sure I am. Or I know, I know for a fact that I am. I mean, it's essentially, I just decimated myself from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I was actually turning into a puff pastry by the time that <laughs> the Christmas was completely over. But getting back into it, you know, I'm reading this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, and it's a phenomenal book. And I'm looking at just implementing these things moving from something that I think is just a good idea and making something that it's habitual. You just, every single day, this is what you do. And I also have landed on the fact that morning workouts are my sweet spot. 
there's a saying that I know you've used a couple of times and, and I believe that it's a Jersey Gregoric quote and it's easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And I have just found over and over again that if I just make a slightly hard choice to get up when it's cold outside and it's still dark and get to the gym for whatever that is, that 30 minutes, that hour, or go to my gym and do my, do whatever it is that I need to do. Put the discipline in there, make the stand there. The rest of the day just takes care of itself. And you know, my ability and my focus, my drive that I have at the beginning of the day, it wanes. By the time that I get to 5 PM and I feel the pressures of, you know, it really is time to spend more time with family. It's really time to wind down. Like I just, all the, I use all these different factors essentially guilt or to talk myself out of doing something that I know is really good for my health. And if I just make it a priority and I tell my wife that I have, I have this goal of being in the, you know, getting to this level of shape, she supports me. And if I can do it early enough in the day, everything else just falls into place. So I am, yeah, I also am, am carving out this window, usually in between six and seven o'clock to spend this hour taking care of my health before the day starts. And it's, yeah, it's been great for me too. So Good luck with your goals. And we'll do our pull-up contest at a camp five later on this year. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going this weekend actually, which is cool. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday and I'm leaving uh, Friday morning. So yeah, it should be fun. There's so many awesome people that are going to be there this week. I know that uh, Chad Carson, coach Carson's going to be there. Uh, Jillian is going to be there from Montana money adventures. And I think there's like three or four other speakers that are going to be there as well. Right? Yeah. It's a star studded lineup. And most importantly, just a really great group of people from the community. I know I recognize a lot from our Choose a Vi Facebook group. It should just be a fun, fun weekend. I can't wait for it. Well, Brad, bear with me as I'm trying to, I, I actually lost my voice last week, basically as soon as we finished recording um, last week's Friday Roundup, and it's only just come back, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, but let's take a few minutes and talk about this past week's episode with Scott and Rob. And in particular, in my mind, it became very apparent that when you're exploring international teaching opportunities, there is some crazy diversity with opportunities that are out there. There are part-time positions that you can make anywhere from 18 to 20 something dollars an hour. And there are full-time positions where you can make anywhere from 70 to 90 grand a year. And really just depending on what your goals are and the life you're trying to design for yourself will help you dictate the path and the strategy that you take. It was amazing to me to hear them kind of walk through the thought process. And I personally know people that have been trying to find this information and frankly had never heard of the path that either of these fellows took. Yeah, this was cool. It was neat to have both of them side by side. And this is under the umbrella of international teaching, but obviously these are totally different paths. So Scott is a full-time teacher and there are many of these international schools throughout the world. And if you're a teacher here in the U.S., you can apply to be a full-time teacher at one of these schools. They make a very competitive salary. I suspect what you just mentioned, 70 to 90 K is, is pretty reasonable, though it, I'm sure it varies depending on the country. Many of them offer housing allowances and all these other little things that Scott mentioned, like flights back home and re-signing bonuses and, and such. So this is a full-time job. Whereas Rob was talking about teaching English abroad. And this sounded like the prototypical by job, right? Or maybe it's a gap year or gap, who knows, decade where to Rob's point, he said he lived there for three years and basically maintained his financial situation. But that afforded him this lifestyle of having to work approximately 20 hours a week. He could travel 
on the weekends, very inexpensively. And it just sounded like a really wonderful time. And the cool thing actually is that Scott in this gap year that him and Kristen are going to take, they might do some of this teaching, right? So these really are side by side. And while many in our audience aren't necessarily going to become full-time teachers, many of us can do this part-time teaching English abroad or through that VIP kid. There are many different options to do this as a part-time gig. You know, Brad, while we tried to cover both Rob and Scott's kind of different journey, there are actually a lot of people in our community that have done this. And I'm so grateful to Abby for calling in a voicemail and giving her own insights into what this potential path could actually look like. So let me go ahead and pull this up. Hello, my name is Abby H. And I currently live in Fuyang outside of Hangzhou, China, which is near Shanghai. And I've also taught in Florida, Las Vegas, Kuwait, and Beijing. So I was really excited when I saw the topic of this week's podcast. Uh, I have a lot of debt. I'm not the best role model financially yet, although the fire has been lit and I am here where I am to get rid of my debt in three years. But I do have some tips just to augment the wonderful advice and the overview that was provided today. Teachaway.com is probably my biggest tip. In addition to Search Associates and the other resources mentioned, it is just incredible. I have gotten all three of my placements through TeachAway. I also received, I mean, more than a dozen offers to probably six or seven different countries over the last few years. So if you go through the hassle of setting up your account on the front end, you can then apply to any of the jobs on their sites with one click. And they do a preliminary interview. And that is that is a very useful asset even before I moved abroad when I was still teaching in Las Vegas. The first round in the States, I liked to browse the openings and they do have listings for both licensed teachers and for ESL teachers, uh, you know, which is the ones who just maybe have a bachelor's degree and want to do the more part-time gig. Uh, the next tip I had is just don't assume that the Middle East is the best place to earn money. I really like that both of your guests were outside of there because in the teaching world, when I chose to go back overseas, I was in Beijing first, and then I went to Florida to be near family. And when I wanted to go back abroad, everyone said, you've got to go to the Middle East. The money is just so good there. You know, there's no taxes. Your housing's provided for. And I kind of bought into the hype. But when I actually got there, I chose Kuwait because it was a little, you know, a lot less flashy than Abu Dhabi, but a little more free for a single woman than Saudi Arabia. And then I discovered that even though the tax-free salary was great, the benefits were great, the cost of living was still really high. Uh, it wasn't very walkable where I was. Food was very expensive. And I realized after a year there, I wasn't going to meet my goals financially, which for me was to pay down uh, $90,000 of debt in, in just a few years. So I decided to return to China, which I really loved uh, because I knew I could pay down debt. I knew I could eat for very little money. And the packages are actually as good as or better than what I had. Um, I do have a decade of teaching experience and a teaching license and a master's, but it just offered definitely comparable packages. And then another tip is to negotiate because the nice thing is, unlike the U.S. salary schedules, which are set you know, by state usually, there's more wiggle room, especially if it's somewhere um, like the Middle East or like uh, China here where... It may be a private-ish company running the school and you're coming in, really upending your life to go to a new place. So don't be afraid to politely negotiate more. 
I would like to say also consider less flashy places and and look at things like the public transportation available, especially if you are on the beginning of the road to FI. Later on, maybe you don't have to be as concerned, but it helps a lot whenever you know that you don't have to have a car here. You don't have to drive yourself. And the best package I would recommend is what I have here and in Kuwait where your housing is included, round trip airfare is included, reimbursement, or they pay up front for the flight on the way out, and your transportation to and from work is included. And that is an incredible uh, life hack that is available as much as it is not. So check that out. And that's actually a reason I chose not to take a job in Abu Dhabi because I would have had to drive myself more, even though the pay was more and I didn't want to have to lease a car. Just a couple more tips for China. They now do have 10-year tourist visas unless things change due to the current events. So my friend who came once to visit me can now come for the next 10 years. And finally, trip.com is a good place to find cheap flights within China. Thank you so much for what you guys do. You have helped to light the fire, and I appreciate you every week. I'm learning so much. Wow, Abby, thank you. And Brad, I'm just, we could spend the entire episode digging through the actionable tips and takeaways from this voicemail. Yeah, that was just a slam dunk by Abby. Thank you so much. And I loved teachaway.com, right? And she's saying, do the work up front where you, put in all this information, and then you can just have that one-click apply. It almost reminds me of what Cody did with the scholarships, right? Yeah, it's the same. It's the idea of batch processing. Instead of just starting from scratch every single time and then just giving up, realize that most scholarships kind of follow certain templates, merit-based or you know, experiential or other things. Tell us about yourself and create these five or six different templates that you need, and then you can apply in mass. It's, but even, you know, let's extract what, what, what they have in common. It's building systems that propel you to the outcome that you want and create, and basically create opportunities. You're creating your own luck. And Brad, the other point that I thought she made is that like income isn't everything. I mean, I think a lot of people think, well, if I just made more money, but we've seen examples of the fact that income doesn't always solve the problem, especially if this is a behavioral issue, if this is a lifestyle inflation issue. And she was able to go right to the heart of that and say, you know what? I was making more money over here, but I was also just having to spend more. And and what I realized is for me, I could potentially make some percentage less, but if I lived in an area where there wasn't quite as much lifestyle inflation, I was going to be able to make so much more progress towards my saving goals. And Brad, this just kind of reminds me, you know, again, it's this idea of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if all your friends are maxing out your credit cards, you're going to feel left behind. Yeah, I hear you. This was a really astute point by Abby, where look at everything. Look at your food expenses. Look at these other expenses. Are things walkable? What is your life going to be like? So it can't just be a quote unquote money grab. Like I know my brother Scott has actually mentioned that, that people talk about that in the international teaching community that, oh, they're just going to kind of ride out their last two or three years somewhere in the Middle East because the actual salaries are so much more significant. But Abby's painting this picture of you really need to look at this holistically, not to mention what your life is going to look like. So yeah, really, really good points. And what was so cool about it, Brad, in particular, you know, Scott's your brother and you guys have been talking about, you've been sharing this FI journey, at least for the last several years, but before you knew that he was all in on this idea you are still peppering them with future value calculations. And, <laughs> and I, and I love to see that progression and to see the fact that like, he has that spark, man. And like the world is opening up and he's like, what do I want to do now? And, and I got to tie it back to the fact that you've been this constant presence in his life saying, Hey, this is, this is normal. We may seem weird 
to the outside world. But honestly, this is just what you need to do. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. It was, it was obviously very nice to hear Scott say that. And, and yeah, it's cool. I mean, we've been living this lifestyle for 10 plus years now. And I don't know if I found Phi or found the blogosphere sometime in September of 2013, but yeah, it's pretty funny that that's when he had an email dating back to when I sent him Jim Collins's website. And that was cool that I've been going through these blogs for, for that long and, and certainly longer. So, uh, it's just important to be aware of this. And, and like he said, some of it was brotherly, like in one ear out the other, but man, he has just taken it and run. And this life that they're living is pretty remarkable. I know they've had this amazing savings rate of 80 plus percent for the last three or four years now. And it's giving them this opportunity to, they just got married. They're in New Zealand right now. They're on a month trip to New Zealand. And that's just before this year long trip that they're taking. And it's just neat to see them have this chance while they are young. It just reminds you like what a life those of us in the Phi community are living or have the possibility of living, right? And sometimes just that possibility is enough. Instead of, oh, I'm chained to my desk until I'm 70 and then maybe I can retire. We've changed that entirely where the world is our oyster and it's just a matter of what do you want to do with your life? That is a really powerful position to be in. You know, and one of the questions that we asked to Rob in particular was like, who is this for? Who should consider this? And Rob made a fantastic point and he, and he referenced actually something that you had said in an episode that we had done recently and that we, as, as people, as humans, you know, we crave this mastery. We don't want to feel like we're on an assembly line making widgets. We don't want to feel like we're just stagnated. We want to always be progressing towards something. And for him, this was looking at the, the frame, looking at the problem a little bit differently. And, and it's actually going to tie really well to a segment we're going to have in a few minutes with Big Earn from Early Retirement Now and, and a topic that we've talked about in the past, this idea of replacing fear with flexibility. At one point in 2008, 2009, Rob was stuck. He, he just, he had hit a wall. Nothing was moving for him. You know, he went down the traditional avenues that you would consider, all right, well, you just need to go put in more applications and you got to kind of sit, put your, put yourself out there and, and all that sort of thing. But that wasn't working. It didn't get him anywhere. And then he stumbled onto this idea, which is a radical choice. It was a radical choice. He was able to leverage this vehicle to allow him to continue to pursue financial independence. And it strikes me that, you know, forget that particular frame. Let's just assume that in the United States, we have, you know, less than a 4% unemployment rate. So you can find a job anywhere, but you want adventure. You know, you want something else. You're ready for that next thing. You want to move on. You want to get a different skill set. You want to tackle life in a different place. This could be an incredibly viable way just to completely switch up the frame and, and merge bringing an income in with getting travel and world experiences. And so, you know, I just appreciated that because in the current economy where Rob obviously did have a job and, and had done it for a significant period of time, he wants to go back. You know, he's missing it. it. It's just, that's a big part of his life. And I think so many of us, frankly, are scared of global travel because frankly, we've never traveled outside of our city, our state, outside of our, our local geographic region. And there's a massive world out there. How cool is it to be able to decide for a period of my life, I want to prioritize this. I want to see the world and to know that it's not going to slow down your path to financial independence. You can have both if you're willing to look at the problem a little bit differently. Yeah. And Rob clearly was facing long-term unemployment, right? He had 
tried his best and it was it had stretched to 18 plus months and yeah do something radical right he said he met somebody who taught overseas and he looked into it and he pulled the trigger how many of us would just sit there at that starbucks day after day applying for job after job thousands upon thousands and just not do anything not do anything else to change it so yeah i mean the fact that he got on that plane and flew to taiwan to teach in a cram school like that that's amazing to me who would have the guts to do that really? And he did it and obviously it worked out well for him. And yeah, Rob actually had some really cool travel tips that I had never considered before, especially where he was talking about just finding the least expensive ticket you could find to a particular continent and then flying around or who knows, taking trains or whatever, very inexpensively intra-country or between countries. And I, I thought that was neat. And he also described to Scott, which was, it was cool. It was like this little session of, of Rob, who's done what Scott and Kristen are embarking to do really Rob teaching Scott a little, a couple little things saying, you just never know what kind of crazy opportunities are going to come your way. If you let serendipity take over. I mean, he was describing like acting gigs in a commercial. He's had people he knows really take part in that or, or have that opportunity or even being the quote American face of a hostel or an Airbnb. Those are neat things. I'm so curious to hear what's going to happen on Scott's year long trip. It's entirely unforeseeable right now. And who knows if something wild and serendipitous like that will happen. And Brad, in particular with Scott, this idea of replacing fear with flexibility, how many of us just say to ourselves, well, I'm just going to work for for one more year. And because it's a safe choice, right? It's just, oh, well, it's there. It's working. I'm just going to work for one more year. And we put off these dreams, these aspirations, these goals that we have. And what's really cool about it is in Scott's case and in the case of many people in our community, if you have been applying these principles of financial independence, you have the power long before you reach 25 times your annual expenses saved up in an investment vehicle. You have the power to make that choice to pursue your dreams now. Take a gap year, take six months, do what you want to do, travel the world. They're doing that. And, and I, I promise you, they're going to be fine. They're going to be able to go back to work. They're going to have options. And, and you know why? It's because they have flexibility and they're not chained down by a 5,000 square foot McMansion. They're not chained down by car payments and consumer debt. They are cash flowing their lives and they've built up a significant savings rate. And you don't need to do that for 10, 20 years in order to be able to afford this. You can do this in a relatively short period of time and far before you reach financial independence. Yeah, I agree. There were a couple of very interesting general five threads that Scott really highlighted here. And yeah, to your point, it's about having that flexibility. He, as he said, this wasn't a decision we took lightly. There's nothing that is pushing us out of this place. It's all pull factors. That was really insightful, where they are very comfortable where they are. They could stay there for a handful more years, maybe even less, and reach Phi. But there are these pull factors that they want to go out and explore the world. They're in this position of power to be able to do this. And they're being very smart and systematic about their trip, and they're going to go visit probably five to ten of these other international schools on their journey and meet people, be on the ground, see what it's like there and be ready to jump into it when they're ready to go back. And who knows if this year extends into two or five or 10, right? That could happen. It's not inconceivable, but that's the cool thing, right? Like they have options. And also where he was saying, and, and this is kind of a side point, Jonathan, but, but something I wanted to mention was where they live a quote, very normal life. 
and where their friends or colleagues, they would have no idea they're living this FI lifestyle. And that's the beautiful thing about FI generally. And, and I, I have always said this to everybody else on our block. We are just like everybody else. Nobody would know in a million years that we're doing anything special or that we had a 30, 50, 70% savings rate, right? There's no way on earth. We just look like the normal middle-class family, but by being optimized and just really thinking about things, like Scott was describing, they moved into a smaller apartment. They sold one of their cars when they got married. And now not only do they have that money in the bank, they're not paying insurance, they're not paying for an extra parking spot, right? It's these little things that when you add them up, they compound into something huge. And you still, to all outward appearances, are living like a normal couple or family, and you're pursuing FI, and in many cases, reaching FI. I just find that just so empowering as that mindset behind this. You can do this and just be a little more optimized and reach FI decades before anybody else could even contemplate retiring. What did your mom think about this episode? <laughs> she loved it. She thought it was so cool. To be able to to hear two boys, you know, on one podcast, and it was neat. So I, I think she got a thrill out of it. All right, guys. Well, we told you in the second half of this episode that we are going to be bringing Carson, also known as Big Earn from Early Retirement Now, who I will refer to only as Big Earn for the remainder of the show, uh, on the show to talk about recent market conditions. You know, are we in a bear market? In particular, what does that mean? What does it mean for? people that have retired this year or are planning on retiring in the next year or two? What does it mean for people that are like five years out and 10 years out? Because it's different, right? Also, what does this mean for him? He wrote an article, which he released on the 7th of January, which I will link to in the show notes for this episode, which does a wonderful job going through some of this content. But I thought maybe we could just have a conversation about it because actually Big Earn retired this past year. So he is potentially the prototypical victim of sequence of return risk. Big Earn, do I have that right? That's right. So that was my fear all along. And I might be that uh, that guy that retired right around the, the peak of the stock market. Yeah. For audience, I mentioned at the beginning of the episodes, but if you're trying to find out what sequence of return risk is about, you can either listen to episode 35 or earn, maybe you could kind of give us just a quick summary. What is sequence of return risk and why do people need to be worried about it? Well, it doesn't matter so much what is your average return during your retirement. Uh, what determines success or failure of your retirement withdrawal strategy is more when are the bad returns and when are the good returns. If you have bad returns early on in your retirement, it means you are basically doing the opposite of dollar cost averaging, right? So you are withdrawing more shares when prices are down and that could deplete your portfolio by so much that even if that eventual bounce in the stock market and the eventual recovery in the stock market comes, and it has always come after every bear market in the past, if your portfolio is so depleted at the bottom of the bear market already that you are not going to participate enough from the bounce back, then that means that, say, the 4% rule is going to fail. And uh, even though you could have average returns over your 30, 40, or 50, or 60-year horizon uh, that are really strong, if the bad returns happen early on, then uh, it could still wipe out your portfolio. Carson, I, I actually want to set up just a comparison. And I'd love for you to talk me through how each person in these two examples would react. So let's say, hypothetically, someone retired in the middle of 2018 with a million dollar portfolio, according to the 
4% rule of thumb, they plan to take $40,000 out approximately, use that 4% rule of thumb going forward. Okay, then come the end of 2018, the stock market drops just, let's just say 20% roughly, and they're down to somewhere in the vicinity of $800,000. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that person and what their likelihood of long-term success is. Cause I think there are a lot of people who are potentially in that situation who they're wondering how scared should they be at this point? Like, is everything that they worked for ruined? Do they have to go back to work tomorrow? So talk me through that and then I'll set up the other scenario too. Right. So first of all, as a disclaimer, it's obviously too early to tell, right? We don't know how 2019 and 20 and 21 will shake out in the stock market. We don't know yet if this is going to be another great recession because every 50% drop in the stock market is going to also start as as a 20% drop initially, right? That's happened in, in 2007 and 2008-9. But let's let's assume that under under the working assumption that we are not going to repeat the Great Recession or the dot-com bust or the Great Depression, it's probably not that much to worry about right now because you even even from the the low in late December, we've recovered already a little bit. So let's let's assume that we are not going to go into a recession again. We are not going to have a prolonged bear market. It's probably too early to be really worried about uh, that little bit of volatility that we had in in two thousand eighteen. But it would definitely be on my radar screen, right? Because uh, if your portfolio is at is at eight hundred thousand dollars and you keep withdrawing the forty thousand dollars a year, you're now at five percent. And then, while well, you you look back in the say the Trinity study or you look at some of the simulations that I did, five uh, percent withdrawal rate has a much higher failure rate than the four percent uh, uh, than the four percent withdrawal rate. Should definitely be something on your radar screen that you could have a higher failure rate than than what you planned for and. So that that shows you some of the pitfalls of the 4% rule, right? Everybody thinks the 4% rule is super safe. Uh, and all it takes is some kind of a garden variety drop in the fourth quarter. And then suddenly everybody sees that, well, it's it's not so safe, right? That's now you're withdrawing 5% and you look up the 5% failure rate in the in the Trinity study and it's much higher, right? Yeah, I hear you. And okay, let, let's just talk through this second scenario that I've kind of concocted here. So it's the middle of 2018. Someone reached their, let's say their million dollar fine number that they had hypothetically, and they plan on retiring sometime in early 2019. All right. Mm -hmm. So they haven't actually pulled the trigger. So their portfolio went down to roughly 800,000 at the end of 2018. Now they're saying, am I really at my fine number? It doesn't seem like it. So with that person, there's not that much daylight between these two scenarios, but my reflexive answer to that second scenario would be, okay, buddy, you need to wait around until you get back up to that million dollars. If that means a couple more years of work, then to save the money, or hopefully the stock market bounces back and you can get some returns there to get you back up to a million, but this might take two, three, five years. So what would your advice be to them? And, and is my reading of this incorrect? No, I, I would do exactly what you proposed. Uh, 4% withdrawal rate right now doesn't seem so crazy anymore. R remember, I'm kind of the grumpy old guy and the Grinch who always says that, well, maybe 4% is a little bit too aggressive. And I said that when the stock market went from one all-time high to another, 
because exactly for that concern, because you, if you retire in response to your portfolio reaching a certain target level, you increase your risk that you, quote unquote, you just exactly grab that peak, that peak stock market, and then you, you, you're just that person just like me, right? You retire right around the, around the peak. But uh, if you were to retire right now where stock valuations look a little bit more attractive, right? So the market was down last year, but it's, it was actually only a few percentage points uh, from year to year. But uh, corporate earnings are still growing. The, the price earnings ratios are looking a little bit more attractive. So I would almost say that now we can even walk up your safe withdrawal rate a little bit more from that, say, from the low 3%, maybe to the mid or high 3%. So I, th I think there are two effects and they go in opposite direction. Obviously, your portfolio is down. But if your portfolio is down simply because you invested in a broad-based market index and uh, your portfolio fell because the S&P 500 fell or the U.S. total stock market fell, you could also argue that now valuations look a little bit more attractive, so you could have a slightly higher safe withdrawal rate. And just to clarify, basically what you're saying is if you still have hit your FI number after the drop, then you're in pretty good shape to, for looking at that 4% rule. I would almost walk up my safe withdrawal rate. So I think uh, my... My personal rule that I would use is so you look at the CAPE ratio and the CAPE ratio is now moving into the, it's, it used to be above 30. It's now below 30. It's moving towards 25 now. So at a CAPE of 25, so this is the Schiller CAPE ratio. That's a, that's a valuation ratio that compares the current market value over the average uh, inflation adjusted earnings over the last 10 years. And uh, so if that moves into the mid 20s, yeah, I, I I could say that uh, we are now probably looking at a safe withdrawal rate of maybe 3.75, maybe 4%, and that's that's even for capital preservation. If you're willing to deplete your assets over the course of retirement, at, at least a little bit, uh, yeah, you could probably now justify something like a 4% safe withdrawal rate uh, given today's market value. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, now for a lot of our community, some of these terms may be new. I know you worked for a significant period of time, actually as an economist for the Federal Reserve. And then I believe you had a pretty long tenure working in asset management for a large investment bank. Was this your bread and butter? Uh, yeah. So that's what we did. So I was in uh, macro asset allocation. So these are exactly the kind of things that we will be thinking about. We'll be thinking about how attractive are stocks versus bonds, uh, how attractive are different stock markets across the world. I was not so much in the department where they do the individual stock analysis, right? So I was more on the on the global macro side uh, where we look at, first of all, different asset classes, stocks, bonds, commodities, and, and currencies. Part of that obviously would also be looking at equity valuations, how attractive are our equities. And yeah, so that drop in 2018 and the, the rise in corporate earnings definitely made equities look a lot more attractive right now. And in your article, I noticed you had mentioned a couple of very recent publications and some major news organizations basically saying, is the fire movement over? And one of the, <laughs> <laughs> is it over? None of this works. It's all been a lie. But one of the things that was kind of cool is I know that you actually posted an informal poll in our Facebook group based on just the, the results that you got on that survey. What are your thoughts on the future of the fire movement? Right. So I think the critics of the fire movement, uh, maybe people are too lazy to go through this 
very long and difficult period of getting your finances together. And people find excuses not to do it, right? So Susie Orman will tell you, you need a bazillion dollars to retire. So a lot of people will throw up their hands and say, well, I'm not even going to go there. So a lot of other people who who don't have the discipline or the determination to go through, say, 10 years of saving for early retirement, uh, they will now say, well, yeah, I mean, look, the market is down. It's probably all going to go away. But we shouldn't fall for that, right? And the, and the reason is that depending on where you are in your path to fire, this is all going to impact you very differently, right? And if you are still many years out, uh, you shouldn't really worry too much about this market volatility. In some way, you should use it in your in your favor. And you should say that you can use this as, as dollar cost averaging, right? The market is down. You, you invest the same uh, monthly contribution every month in your 401k or in your taxable savings, uh, and you buy more shares. Once the market recovers again, you, you could actually slightly benefit from this market volatility. So I, I was actually curious, where are people, where's the average person in the fire community? So I, and I, I don't really have the means to do that uh, very scientifically. Maybe you guys should do that. Maybe you guys should send out a survey to all of your followers, uh, and then it would be more scientific. So I just did a poll in your Facebook group, and I asked, where are you in your fire planning? Are you, are you already retired? Are you going to retire within a year, two to three, four to five? I think it did six to 10 and then 10 plus years. And it turns out 80% of the respondents were at either six to 10 or 10 plus. So that means the, the overwhelming majority of people in the fire community are still many years out. So they could actually benefit from a drop in the stock market like that, right? So because they have relatively little savings already in their stash, they would also benefit from better equity valuations right now, because that means that probably expected returns are going to be a little bit higher after the most recent drop because earnings are still going up and we uh, we have better price earnings ratio. So that usually means that uh, going forward, uh, we can afford to have a little bit higher expected returns. So, so this could actually be a net positive for people that are far enough out and uh, this could really only impact the the handful of people that are thinking about retiring right now or they have retired just very recently or or maybe just retire they were planning to retire in 2019 so they they'll obviously have to have to be a little bit more cautious but everybody else i think they could actually do really well with this little bit of market volatility yeah this is a crucial point for me i think so many of us in this community we're on the path to FI. Mm -hmm. For people with a 50 plus percent savings rate or, or even 30 mm -hmm. plus, whatever it may be, if you're stocking that money away, and to your point, you're in essence getting dollar cost averaging here at these much lower prices. You're also saying, I guess, based on earnings and historical numbers that you're looking at, the stock market is much more fairly and reasonably priced now than it certainly was six months ago. That's right. That means we can also now go back and say, well, now we can also use more average safe withdrawal rates that were average safe withdrawal rates in, in the history. Right? If, because if the stock market is, is very near the peak, you probably don't want to use the average safe withdrawal rate uh, from the history. Right? It goes back to, I remember uh, in, in episode 35, I was talking about driving to the airport at 4 a.m. versus 4 p.m., what is your driving time? You can't use the average driving time going to the airport if you already know that you're going going in rush hour, right? So, and the same thing uh, with safe withdrawal rates. 
you can't really look at uh, what was historically an all right safe withdrawal rate if we already know that equity valuations are extremely stretched as they were in, in 2018. So now we're closer to normal. Uh, we can also now go back closer to the, to the 4% normal withdrawal rate. Yes. Yeah, so my advice, or at least how I'm reading this, is to everybody out there who might be flipping out, it does not feel wonderful when your net worth or your whatever it may be, your investable assets go down by 20%. It doesn't. It doesn't right. feel great. Right. But what we're arguing here is for people in the FI community, and this is really a direct counterpoint to these ridiculous articles that you you talked about specifically, like on Market Watch and Susie Orman's of the world. They're saying the FI movement is going to unwind because of a, mm-hmm. a rather pedestrian drop in the stock market, which we probably see every handful of years at 20% oh, every drop. Three. Yeah, every three years. Every three you have, years. Yeah, okay. you have a drop like that. So I, I think I said every three years you have a drop of greater than 15%. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, right. This is normal. We have to steal ourselves mentally. Like, this is part of the deal of being invested in the stock market. We need to know that basically, if you have a 30, 50, 70% savings rate, you're going to succeed at your financial life no matter what. And just know that. And to your point, Ern, Take advantage of it, right? You're buying right, on sale, right. dollar cost average. Yep. And there is a chance this is going to be a net positive for those people. Exactly. Think about what to do in response to this. 2019, you can increase your 401k contributions to $19,000, I believe, from $18,500. So if you're still saving for retirement, I think you could benefit from this. And again, it depends on where you are with your retirement savings. If you had a $10,000 retirement account, it went down by only $2,000. If you had a million dollar account, it went down by $200,000. So it's obviously there's, depending on where you are, if you're closer to retirement, the loss is greater in, in dollar terms, at least, even though the percentage might be the same. And you gain less from future contributions because you're so much closer to retirement. So if you, but if you're further away from retirement, you have these two impacts. First of all, your initial stash is smaller. So the 20% loss times your initial stash is smaller and you have more years to go until retirement. You, so you have more room for dollar cost averaging through this. Uh, well, currently it's, it's a technically a bear market. I think there are some indices that are actually down 20%. So you could dollar cost average through this bear market, and and we hope it doesn't go into much worse than this. And the longer you have until retirement, the more room you have for this dollar cost averaging, and you more the more room you have for grabbing these hopefully higher expected returns going forward. Because nothing really has changed fundamentally so much, right? As the economy still seems seems relatively solid, uh, employment numbers look good, uh, and uh, earnings numbers. We'll see the earnings numbers will roll in uh, this quarter for Q4, but everything still looks really solid. So this is the point about valuation. If only the price goes down and the fundamentals haven't really changed. Yeah, I mean, you should really use this as a as almost like a Christmas sale uh, or a holiday sale. Uh, for stock. So increase your contributions. You have even more incentive now to increase your savings rate and up your contributions. Let's just spend one second because I can already feel it. Someone's sitting on the sidelines. They have a big pile of cash and they're like, well, should I time it or dollar cost average it? Does this market have farther to go? (laughs) Yes, I know historically it's always this, but this feels different. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I mean, if you have a stash of cash sitting on the sidelines, you, you probably really kick yourself. Why didn't you deploy that on December 24th, right? This is, for example, one of the reasons why I never kept a lot of cash on the sidelines uh, to deploy because on average, obviously, the market goes up and you, on average, you will always miss out. But anyways, I mean, obviously, you can't beat up yourself uh, over over not jumping in in December. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we talked about that in episode 35. If the choice is between dollar cost averaging and going all in at once, historically, research has shown that it is better to go all in at once and not do dollar cost averaging as the average returns are a little bit higher. But the problem is, what about your nerves? What about uh, are you going to beat yourself up if you time it a little bit wrong? Uh, So if it calms your nerves and it makes you sleep better, you should probably do the dollar cost averaging because you, you could say that, well, I'm too afraid to put it all in, so I'm I'm not going to put anything in at all. So if, if these are the two choices, then, yeah, you probably want to do the dollar cost averaging if you're too afraid to put it all in at once. CERN, I, I agree with you. I am very optimistic about what this means for the vast majority of our community. I think there's a massive upshot here to be able to buy the market on sale, essentially. But obviously, not, not everybody's going to be okay. In fact, you're probably not okay. And people that are retired about the same time as you and maybe are retiring early into this year, I'm just curious who should be concerned and what can they do to mitigate some of that damage that this bear market could be causing for them? Well, some of my blogging buddies that retired around the same time, uh, actually some of them on the same day, uh, so I think we should be okay too, because we were cautious enough to have a lower safe withdrawal rate, right? So we're planning something like around three and a quarter. Uh, some people I know they do even lower than three percent, which is which seems a little bit overly cautious, even even for my taste. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, somebody who would not be okay would be someone who retired at the peak of the stock market, and they already so so they took too many risks, right? One is. Uh, they retired right around the stock market peak, and then they were a little bit sloppy, and then they rounded up there. Well, I have I have only 23 times uh, annual expenses or 22 times annual expenses. Well, I round that up. That's close enough to 25. So now you are potentially at a, at a 5% withdrawal rate, or say if you started with a if you started with a 5% withdrawal rate, now you're in the mid fives, maybe even six percent. Yeah, I mean, you, you now you should be a little bit worried about that. So it makes you think, what route do you have to take? Do you have to lower your withdrawals? Do you have to go back to work? Uh, again, it's not it's not a total failure. It's not like you're going to run out of money tomorrow if you don't change course. But uh, yeah, definitely you would have to think about maybe generating some side income, which obviously we are good at, and this is not the end of the world. But Again, so not everybody will have a super smooth ride through this market volatility. I just wanted to point that out. I, want, I don't want to sound like a uh, like overly optimistic about this uh, about this market volatility. It's something to be worried about, and and some people will be more worried about it than others. So, Ern, looking forward, you talked about fundamentals being strong. In, in right. essence, what you're saying is, in the total stock market index fund, if there are three thousand companies, nothing changed with those companies in right. November and December when the stock market right. went down a significant amount, the fundamentals are the same. So we're buying on sale, right? right. So that's right. a beautiful thing. But what are you looking out for just with the irrationality maybe of the market? 
that's always part of this psychology. So what are you looking out for in 2019, especially as someone who just pulled the trigger on early retirement? It depends on how involved you want to be on or how hands off you want to be. I definitely look at what the macro economy is doing, right? And the, the reason for doing that is that I noticed that, so obviously the stock market and the macro economy, at times they are they are moving in opposite directions, right? You could have a, you could have a bear market outside of a recession. Uh, and then sometimes during a recession, especially late in the recession, you have a stock market rally already starting. So some people would say that the macro economy is really detached from the stock market, but that's not right. Especially if you're in early retirement, you look at when did the 4% rule fail? It's usually during a bear market, and it was a bear market that was really bad because it happened during a recession. So then you have the extended bear markets where not just the price goes down, but also the fundamentals go down, right? That, that, because that is the risk. Right now, only the price of the S&P 500 went down. Nothing happened to fundamentals. That usually means that the market is going to snap back really fast. I would be afraid that if on top of the price movement, we also have a movement in the fundamentals where GDP starts dropping, where earnings start falling. So conceptually, that is what I would want to look out for. And again, I'm saying we are not completely out of the woods. And, and right now it only looks like this is something temporary. But I would be concerned that if we have another recession and earnings drop, that could be something that is a longer lasting problem. And then we get back into the, the sequence of return problem. And then we can talk about what exactly I look at to see if the economy is still uh, running smoothly. I, I would usually look at the, the yield curve inversion. Uh, if the yield curve, so if the, if the spread between the 10-year and the two-year interest rates uh, switches from positive to negative, so if 10-year bonds yield less than two-year bonds, that's usually a warning sign for the economy. I would look at some employment numbers, uh, especially uh, unemployment claims, and I would look at the PMI index. So if I, if I have only three things uh, so the PMI index is the purchasing managers uh, index. So there's a business confidence index. So if, if these three things all look negative, and right now they all look positive, so if all of these three look negative, then I would start becoming worried about fundamentals. So, but but that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. So this is this is this is one of the reasons why I'm still relatively optimistic. Nothing bad happened to fundamentals yet. This is just a price adjustment, and hopefully it will be temporary. Yeah, Ern, that is absolutely fascinating. And and I'd love to get you back on next year if if anything does change. And maybe you could talk more in, in depth about that. But for the regular person out there, right? Obviously, you have a PhD in economics. I decidedly don't. I'm just a regular guy, right? So what am I supposed to look out for to find out if these fundamentals are changing? You said GDP and earnings dropping. But, but realistically, for someone out there in the audience, like, what should they look for? Are there specific numbers? Like, are there specific times that those numbers are released? How should they know if something is changing fundamentally? It's very hard to get that right. So obviously in the in the media, you have some of the same exaggeration that we've had with, with Susie Orman and the Market Watch article. So nothing is ever in the middle. It's either the best thing ever or the, the fire movement will be obliterated, right? And you have a little bit of the same thing also going on with responses to say data releases so sometimes the payroll employment numbers come out and they're a little bit below average and then everybody's running around and says oh my god this is this is the end of the world and then they're a little bit above average as they were 
earlier this month on Friday came out at, at over 300,000 jobs uh, in December. And then everybody starts running around and says, oh, I mean, this is the best jobs market ever. So you have, you have the same kind of nonsense in the media out there as you have elsewhere where everything is overly exaggerated. And so it's, it's very hard to keep a clear mind and to be even-headed. I mean, I uh, when I was doing this for a living, I would write computer programs where basically we do we do yeah almost machine learning artificial intelligence algorithms that look at thousands of different uh, data series or maybe hundreds it was almost a thousand different data series that track how the economy is doing of course i can't do that now because i'm i'm retired but it's one of these pareto principles you can probably get uh, 80% of the outcome for 20% of the of the effort, and as in, in this case, it's probably much less than 20% of the effort. Uh, so this is why I mentioned these three series. So, so I look at the yield spread between the 10 and the two-year. I look at unemployment claims. They come out weekly. And I look at the PMI, Business Confidence Index, that comes out monthly. And I have a blog post where I introduce these three uh, indicators and also where you can look them up. I think they're all in the, uh, in the St. Louis Fred database. You can look at these indicators and you probably get a pretty good view, a pretty good indication of, of how the economy is doing by, by just these three indicators. You have something that's more of a, of a financial and federal reserve monitoring indicator. That's the yield spread. You get something about the labor market and you get something about, uh, about manufacturing confidence that spans many different aspects of the economy and it's just three series they come out they're, they're not secret data series they are publicly available they come out the yield spread obviously you can monitor that daily the unemployment claims you can monitor that weekly uh, and the pmi that comes out monthly and they come out very timely uh, there's very little data delays uh, and it's accessible to everybody so now that i'm retired i don't have the time and the bandwidth anymore to to monitor hundreds or, or thousands of data series. And this is what I follow right now. And as I said, looking at these series so far, I don't really have too much of a concern about fundamentals. It's a little bit weaker, say, since middle of last year, but it's still above average. So, and, and in order to be concerned about, about growth and earnings growth, now we would probably have to see much worse readings in, in these data series. And I'll, I'll give you the, the link for that post from earlier in 2018. Yeah, please do. One of the things that you mentioned there, and I, I think it'd just be interesting to highlight, is the fact that you are retired. We talk about it. We talked about it a little bit, you know, talk, asking you if you were okay from a sequence of return risk. And, but honestly, I think what I'm more curious about right now is like, how are you, how is your family enjoying early retirement? <laughs> what are you guys doing? Oh, uh, we are just settling down. We bought a house in Washington State. And we just finished our seven-month trip around the world, and we returned from that on December 27th, Uh, returned to San Francisco, and uh, packed up our stuff. We rented a U-Haul, and we drove from San Francisco to Camas, Washington. So it's a suburb of Portland, Oregon, so it's in the southwest corner of Washington State. And yeah, so we have a house here. We're just unpacking, doing some home improvement projects furniture shopping, um, everything that comes with, uh, with home ownership again. So we're actually quite busy right now. I was so going to ask, feel what like- are you doing <laughs> with all your free time? <laughs> <laughs> furnishing a house. <laughs> furnishing the house. So, uh, my wife is doing a great job. So she's helping with, uh, obviously with that. So she's 
doing the more of the organizational stuff, um, setting up the the kitchen and uh, things like that. I'm more the the handyman. Yeah, we're quite busy here, and uh, but I, I could definitely sense that both my wife and I, as much as we enjoyed traveling, after a few months, you definitely have that longing again to have a home, right, and to have. Uh, more space to have the same bed every night and to no longer live out of suitcases. So as much as we enjoyed traveling, we were definitely getting ready to to settle down again. So this has been so much fun, man. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Okay. You bet. Thanks a lot. You know, Brad, I was talking to Ern just for a couple extra minutes after we finished that call, just kind of getting a, a lay of the land and, and you can just tell he is just thriving on his early retirement. I think his exact words were, man, this is great. You can almost see it. Like, what are you going to do with all of your free time? And then like very quickly, you get to the point, you're like, how did I ever have time for a nine to five? There's so much that I want to do. And it's it's really cool to have someone like Big Earn be able to come on the show and share some insight from an academic level on what's going on with current market conditions. But then also he's in the trenches with us, right? I mean, he's actually someone that pulled the trigger and is living out his early retirement. And I guarantee you, he's not doing it from a place of fear. No, he certainly isn't. And yeah, that point that he made in there is one of the most important things we've heard on Chooseify in maybe ever. Look at the fundamentals. The fundamentals are strong right now. If the stock market wants to give us a 20% discount, then buy more shares. To Ern's point, if you have cash sitting on the sidelines, deploy it. That's what he would advise at this point. I know I'm taking that to heart and I hope everyone else out there is as well. I'm personally, like I said at the outset of this episode, I just dumped in $7,000 into an HSA that's immediately going into the stock market. I'm going to try to max out my 401k as early in 2019 as I can. I want to take advantage of this sale. And like I said, it's not easy to see your net worth go down, right? Mine went down probably more than my largest salary ever in my life, which is crazy when you think about it. But honestly, am I losing sleep about that? No, I didn't think about it for one second. This is what we sign up for when we're looking at a 30 to 50 year investing life. This happens, as Ern said, every three plus years or thereabouts, right? You're gonna see a 15% drop. That's just part of the deal. So look at this as a sale and take advantage of it. And what I love about this is that this is a community. You know, The financial independence community is spread around the world as people pursuing financial independence and striving to hit 20, 30, 40, 50% savings rates. And you have this flexibility in your life. And and while this community was mostly an internet-based community in in the beginning, it's actually branched out into real-life meetups uh, over the last several months and over the last several years. And we've tried to support that effort with our local page, which you can find at chooseify.com slash local. We have well over 170 local groups all around the world. I think there was just a new group set up this past week in both Kentucky and also in Belgium. What we want to do with maybe a a small segment of each show is just highlight some of the cool things that are happening in the community. And we wanted to give a big shout out to Jennifer, who is the admin of the San Diego group, but she's also helping us as our community liaison, helping us figure out what's working in one area and seeing whether or not other groups can benefit from that idea, that concept as well, and just kind of helping us all develop this system out. And just to kind of give you a sense, if you've never considered going to one of these meetups, they can be structured, they can be informal, they could just be sharing a meal, but it could also be like a focused presentation. I know that 
There are close, maybe even over at this point, 500 members in both the San Diego group and the Houston group. I know in, in San Diego, there were 56 people that joined it just last month. And at this last December meeting, they had topics that included side hustles, behavioral economics, logical fallacies, budgeting. Find a way to take these really awesome ideas and then incorporate it with maybe lifestyle stuff like a hike and an overnight camping trip. One of the keys that I've noticed is having just a regular meetup actually scheduled. I know that Houston has actually made it a focus to start having these regularly scheduled meetups as well. Their first one is actually going to be at a, at a library and they're going to be doing a roundtable discussion. So, you know, we're going to co- try to continue to kind of publicize the different events that are going on around the world, take the really cool wins that come from those. You never know. I mean, Brad, this really could go anywhere. You mentioned last week about how these often can spawn mastermind groups and how people can start businesses together and just, you never know where it's going to take you. But you won't know unless you try, unless you put yourself outside of your comfort zone. I know all of us can maybe have our introvert tendencies and we just want to stay inside of our box. Put yourself out of your comfort zone and go meet a tribe of like-minded individuals. Yeah, I totally hear you. And and even down to like the micro, right? So in our Richmond local group, Luke this week posted, hey, did we ever start that tool co-op, right? We had talked about this, I think, on the podcast and, and we talked about it in our Facebook group of instead of every single person out there in our local group buying a ladder and a wheelbarrow and all sorts of different things for the house that you maybe use one day a year, some with many of these things, why don't we just have a co-op where we can just borrow them from everybody else? This was an idea that we brought up and it just never happened, but it looks like now based on this one post that it's actually going to happen for our Richmond local group. So there are so many of these ideas percolating across the local groups throughout the world. And I'd love to help aggregate that. And I think, like you said, Jennifer is going to do a wonderful job of kind of taking the best practices of each individual local group and bringing it to the larger set of almost 200 groups at this point. Yeah. And and to Luke, actually, specifically, Luke, I actually meant to write you back directly. I was fighting off a cold, but uh, I have a 10 gallon air compressor. Luke was actually looking (laughs) for an air compressor to use on his, I guess, roof or some such, but this would be perfect for that. And you're more than welcome to use it. So you can definitely add that to the co-op list. See Brad helping live on the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And there's three books that we offer. The first is JL Collins book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book from Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there and leave us a written review on either iTunes or Stitcher. And then send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get. And we announce the winner on the Friday roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have two winners today. And the first winner is Izzy. And Izzy says, this podcast is the comprehensive audio guide to pursuing FI. If you listen from the beginning, you will get the full rundown of everything and everyone relevant to the FI community. And Brad and Jonathan make an excellent duo. They are down to earth, affable, enthusiastic, easy to listen to, and just plain good at interviewing. They really know how to ask questions of their guests that draw out the important details and practical advice which is a skill. Their format is also phenomenal. Every interview is supplemented with a follow-up episode in which the pair debrief and review the conversation with the guests. It's really smart. I recommend this podcast to anyone who will listen. Stop reading this review from a random person on the internet and go listen. 
Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan, the second winner is Sarah. And Sarah says, mind blown. I think I've been searching for this community for decades. I heard about the Choose I podcast on an investment club for women's group on Facebook. I've always had an interest in business and economics, so I shrugged and began listening. I fell down several rabbit holes that night. In the past week since I found this podcast, I've listened to maybe 40 of the podcast episodes and my mind is blown. I have always felt like a decent saver without actually budgeting, but not known what to do with my savings. And by not making a decision, I was making a decision. Since last week, I have dug around in my files, come up with a more accurate view of what I'm spending on gas, groceries, eating out, and other expenses. I've contacted my HR department and found what organizations I need to contact to open a 457B and or a 403B. I've opened a Vanguard account. I've drawn my line in the sand and I'm shooting for FI in nine to 12 years. I ache a little realizing that if I had been turned onto this a few months earlier, I could have substantially reduced my tax burden for 2018. Yet I'm thankful I found you now rather than later as ever. Sarah. And Brad, there's so much actionable content you know, buried in this episode, how to deal, how to think about these market conditions. But I'm imagining someone is maybe listening every single week, every single episode, someone is hearing the podcast for the first time. And man, they're like, this is all over the map. What is this? What does this even mean? And this is a community. This is an ongoing story that's being built. Every episode builds on itself. Every Friday roundup builds on the Monday episode that was released prior. And together, hopefully this information tells a story. And so if you're listening to this episode for the first time and you honestly, you need an orientation, I would recommend that you go back and first off, you listen to episode 100. That is like our gateway to financial independence. That's like a fantastic starting place. If that piques your interest, if that makes you say, I want to know more about this rabbit hole from there, honestly, I think it still works to go back and listen to episode one and the knowledge will continue to build on itself. And you know what you could do? I know some people will just try to go back to the first episode and then just play catch up all the way through. Some people just stay caught up on the current episodes and then fill in the days with the older episodes and just kind of work through your backlog slowly. And you know, whichever one you prefer, but I, I think it's worth your time at bare minimum to go through and listen to the older content because there's so much information that the guests have been willing to share with us that is going to radically transform both your life and your finances. I mean, we're not talking about insignificant amounts of money here. This information is virtually priceless. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.